Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Salty Seafood Waterfront Restaurants. Visit them on the water at their Alki, Redondo, and Portland locations. Hi, this is Jenny from Bell & Wheat in Belltown. You're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Coming to you live at the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today. Welcome to the Seattle Dining Show for July number 1607. I'm Connie Adams, the senior editor, and I'm here with Tom Marin, the publisher. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, no more singing. That was last month. No more singing. Okay. And if Jamie were here, she would say the same thing. (laughs) I did that for Jamie, so when she listens to the show, she won't miss me so bad. (laughs) She's crying in her soup right now. (laughs) She's crying in her lambs. (laughs) She is. She's working on a lamb thing. So Uh, we'd like to start uh, the the show off by talking about some places we've been to or eaten lately. What do you have on your schedule there, mister? Well, I've been out uh, floating around the state and uh, up in Canada, and so i got a couple places here. Um, I was out in Tri-Cities a couple weeks ago and had a lovely dinner over at the Cedars Restaurant on the Clover Island. A beautiful spot. And um, I recall when we were... When we had just sat down, there was a flock of a dozen sandhill cranes flying up over the Columbia River. That was beautiful. It was beautiful. And then one of them came down, and apparently, according to the staff, he's sort of taken up residence in the area. So he was right on the dock out front. And uh, Oh, by the way, the food was good, too. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this is a food show. That's right. That's right. Uh, it's very good. You know, it's it's uh, it's old old school '70s steakhouse with the uh, salad bar, and uh, I got prime rib on a Tuesday night. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. So. And when you say old school, I want to point out that the salad bar is all fresh. It's not old school like uh, canned mandarin oranges like no, you used no. to get. Yeah, it's a it's a lovely fresh. Lots of stuff. And I actually like that style, you know. I, 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 I'll say it publicly. I don't mind going to a, a Black Angus now and then, getting a salad bar. And yeah. So. Uh, they were also very uh, accommodating because you went through the salad bar and said, you know what's not there is crumbled bacon. And they said, we can fix that for you. And they and brought they you did. crumbled bacon. Yep. Well, you figure they have it in the kitchen for the baked potatoes. Oh, yeah, so. Absolutely. Um, and, and before I went over to the Cedars, um, I was with a few friends on a tour. So, uh, we had a beer upstairs in the crow's nest upstairs in the hotel that's right next door. Mm -hmm. And that's a lovely little view up there. It is. Uh, real nice. I mean, you're, you're up, I don't know, 30 feet. No, no, you're up on the fourth floor. So you got a really great view of Tri-Cities and the Columbia River from up there. And the, the bridge probably, huh? Yeah, the two bridges. Both bridges. Because there's the 395 bridge, and then there's the other bridge there that has that beautiful suspension system yeah. on it. And there's also train tracks hanging below one of those. I think it's a suspension one. So you got kind ah, of the train thing, too. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. And then uh, last weekend, I was uh, out in Plain, Washington, camping out in the farmer's field across the street <laughs> from the grocery store. 
And uh, there is a little cafe there. It's been there for quite a long time. It's called the Old Mill Cafe. But they have new owners. And uh, uh, the owners, I think it's Chef Steve, it's he and his family. So his wife and I think two or three kids are working in there with him. And then they have some other staff. Uh, but uh, Chef Steve comes from the um, the Mount Hood Ski Resort, mm. and that's where Manny and Leah, who have done oh. food trucks at our rally before, that's yeah. where they all hole up in the wintertime for work, too. Oh, interesting. So uh, it's interesting to kind of, you know, six degrees of separation type yeah. of situation when I, he was wearing his chef jackets from the resort. So. Oh, that would kind of give you a hint. <laughs> and it was, it was Mount Hood Meadows, but all, all those guys, they, they cook pretty good. So the food was, was pretty decent at the old mill. Uh, the locals tell me that uh, there's a bit of a rough start, but they're, they're getting there. Oh, good. So. Well, starts can be rough. It's I'll have recover. one more restaurant to talk about, and that'll be at the end of the show. Oh, a little teaser. All right. Well, I had three things on my mind, um, and, and two of them are pretty old, actually. I was recently at Girardi's in Edmonds. Now, that place has been there. I mean, a couple of my friends took me there for my birthday dinner, and I think I was probably 20 when they did it. So I'm not even going to tell you how many years ago that was. And don't you say 80. Um. Ninety? No. <laughs> uh, it is. It, we went for uh, during the happy hour time, and it's amazing. The prices are absolutely amazing, and they have quite a, a lot of things you can get. But honestly, the prices on the menu in general are really amazing. I, I always thought it was French. I think it's not terribly French, but it was fine food, great prices, fun atmosphere. Um, very lively because everybody was in there for, in Edmonds. So. so the food wasn't amazing, but uh, no, I wouldn't say it's amazing. It was it, you got the you got the value out the, of it. the value for what you got. I mean, you get what you pay for. I think that's kind of a truism, but mm-hmm. um, uh, it was better than six or seven dollars that they were charging. You know, it was uh, quite a quite and a that, good thing. That whole area downtown Edmonds there has really come up a few notches in mm-hmm. the last decade. I would say. Um, a lot of good restaurants around yeah. there. I go up there for breakfast sometimes. Yeah. And... yeah. The other one that's been around quite a while is May Tai in Wallingford. You and I went there not all that long ago. Yeah. They have killer brown rice. That Their rice mm. is just like, uh, it's, it's a long grain and it's dark brown. It's like coffee brown. And it is tasty. I hadn't um, been there in a while, but I remember when we went there before, they also had some amazing happy hour stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think they do. And also, every time I've been there, I'm impressed with the sort of complexity and the flavors of their sauces. They're really lovely, no matter what you're getting. They're really nice sauces. And then the other night, I went to Local Burger. And we've written about them before, but I had not actually ever been there to eat. And uh, it, was, it was pretty good. I was there with my mother, and we split the real local burger, which is their grass-fed burger. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we split it. It was about seven inches high, um, and it had bone marrow butter in it mm. and tomato jam. It was really delicious, and the meat was just – you could tell it was grass-fed. It was just so delicious. So I was very happy with that. And, and when we talk about grass-fed beef on the show, when Connie and I are 
talking about its virtues. We're not talking about uh, grass-fed grain finished beef because we don't buy that because that doesn't have the omega-3. But uh, we like the 100% grass-fed beef, and you can pick that up at uh, Central Market. You can find it down at the Ballard Market, uh, probably over at the Whole Foods on Elliott Bay. So uh, I know it's too. summer. Make yourself a grass-fed burger. Oh, man, those burgers are good. All right. All right, do you want to get into the monthly topic? Yeah, what are we going to talk about this month? Well, this was just something, interestingly that was on my mind because of someone I talked to yesterday. And then we had uh, the uh, people who are our interviewees today, and it, unfortunately it wasn't on, we didn't record them talking about this, but they had a totally different view of this. So uh, it's interesting that it all came about, you know, to talk about today. So what are we talking about? The Yeah, do, do you want me to explain any further? <laughs> Why aren't you people following me? Let's just dance around it with uh... <laughs> another teaser. Um, a few years ago, there was a big hubbub in town because there were a few chefs who were saying, "I don't put salt and pepper on the table. My my food is perfect, and don't you even try to mess with it." And then there was the other faction that was saying, "Don't tell me how to eat. If I want to salt something to death, I should be able to. I'm paying for it." And so it was kind of back and forth, and I don't even know what happened to it. It's died out. I haven't heard anything for a long time. Then yesterday, I was uh, interviewing Salvio and Leo Varchetta, Varchetta um, who have Cinque Terra, Terra and uh, Barolo, and The List, Mama Molina's. Um, so they've been around town. They've been doing this a long time. And Salvio and I got talking about this subject and one of the things he said, a story he told me, was that he'd gone to some town in Italy, and there was a chef there who was the man. And so they went to dinner there, and there was a table of people next to him, and they obviously knew the chef. They were waving and, you know, talking to him and stuff. And they waved him over and said, hey, can we have a little more parsley? And he looked at them and said, absolutely not. This is perfect <laughs> as it is. And Salvio said to himself, I um." will not be that chef. I would not be that owner. I would let people do what they want. Because what we do is we provide them an authentic dish as it was meant to be made. And if they need for their palate to do whatever, then that's their deal. Now today, we're talking, our interviewees are uh, Lloyd Moore and Chef Ryan Hauser from uh, the Captain Would Be In. And we didn't talk to them about this, but Ryan just started talking about it and saying, um, "We, he's, he's like a molecular guy. He knows exactly what the DNA is in food and the amino acids. Yeah. And he, when he prepares a dish, he feels it is perfect in terms of seasoning because, I mean, scientifically, it's perfect. And so he does not put salt and pepper on the table. But I think he'd give it to me if I asked him for it. We didn't ask him that. Yeah, we didn't ask him that. But he says it's perfect when it comes to the table because we've done all that work for you. But he, so he went into detail um, about when the right time is to salt and pepper your mm -hmm. meat, which is pretty much before you cook it. Exactly. And then it doesn't need salt and pepper after that. And you're doing something totally different scientifically yeah. to the food when you do that. And one of the things he said was that if you put pepper on afterwards, you'll taste pepper. You'll certainly get pepper flavor, but it's doing nothing for the meat. Yeah. So let's uh, – I think we're going to have him do our chef's kitchen 
mm-hmm. in an upcoming issue of Seattle Dining. And he's going to go into more detail about that and then give us a recipe of some kind of food made with salt and pepper. But, I, you know, that's a pretty limited list of <laughs> stuff. <wouldn't>. So. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be, he was fascinating, and, and I thought Salvio's story was fascinating, and they're polar opposites. So what do you, what's your feeling about this? Oh, I, I'm a big believer that you should uh, get all that seasoning done ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know when I make salads for people and, and that sort of thing, I want that salt and pepper having some time to set up along with the dressing. Mm-hmm. So I, I put it all into the dressing. I don't let them... I don't bring them over. If they want it, you know, I'll bring them over the salt and pepper. But yeah. it's already salt and peppered when they get it. Same thing with when I'm cooking beef. Same thing if I'm making uh, carrots and I want to put some olive oil mm-hmm. and garlic and some salt in there. Uh, it's all before I cook. So uh, I don't think people really understand that. And, uh, uh, you know, we just need to evolve. Yeah. And <laughs> I think uh, this is another thing I've always heard all my life. But would you please taste the food before you season it. Yeah. You know, if somebody does this beautiful dish for you and then you look at it and say that's lovely and then pour salt all over it without ever having tasted it, uh, that's bad. You know, it could be perfect without that. Yep. So. All right. Well, hey, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll take a look at some of the latest tidbits from our News Bites file. Hi, my name's Robert Takahashi. I'm with Brian Carter Sellers. And you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Hi, I'm Corey Nagler from Walla Walla, and when I'm in Seattle, I eat at La Carta de Oaxaca. the July Seattle Dining Show, and we're talking about News Bites and what's happening. You can always keep up with our News Bites as they happen by following our Twitter account, at Seattle Dining One, or reading the News Bites column at www.seattledining.com. And the first one I'd like to mention is that Friday Harbor House, which is a lovely spot on San Juan Island, um, and it has it's an inn, and it has uh, the Friday Harbor House restaurant, they have just renovated and reopened with a brand-new executive chef, Jason Aldous. I guess that's how you pronounce it. I, I'm probably needing to apologize to him right now. But they're doing. Uh, they're saying unexpected flavors and great views. And, of course, it is. It's just a lovely spot right yeah. above the harbor. Since they have a new chef, I think they need to have us out. Oh, I, you know, I can't imagine that we didn't get an invitation yet. Yeah. That is odd. Yeah, they should be calling <laughs> soon. Now that we'll make sure they hear this. No. <laughs> Okay, so that's happening. Uh, let's see. Rogue Ales, that's our friends down in Oregon, have released its 28th annual American Amber Ale dedicated to the revolution and second beer created by brewmaster John Mayer, which is not the same John Mayer who records all those great songs. Exactly. And I just don't even want to talk about how old John may be since this has been going on 28 years and it was his second beer. Wow. So he's been brewing for a while. Well, they, they really, you know, they've really been expanding a lot over the years. They've got the, the brew pub out there in Issaquah now. They've got the spirits going. You can mm. find their stuff in the stores all over the place now. 
pretty yeah. interesting. You wonder why they haven't been bought by Anheuser-Busch or somebody. Yeah, somebody's holding out because they are trying to be craft still. Um, next year. We've got Ethan Stoll restaurants. Um, you know, over the course of things, Tom and I have talked about how how we fell in love with Tavolata down in Belltown. Well, they've opened a second location, 501 East Pike Street. And Chef Adam Buzzolini, who's been over the Belltown one all this time, is over both locations. So the menus will be similar, and you know it's going to be good. And they did that because they didn't know if they were going to stay downtown or not, right? So they well, wanted to pop up a new location just in case, and now they well, wound up with two? Yeah, I don't really know what happened there. Ethan had told us that uh, the lease might be up or they might not renew or something, and I don't know if they decided not to or they're just going to have a – we haven't talked about it. So I don't know if it's a, a, a overlapping thing or if they're just going to keep two. Okay. Right now I'm just hearing two. Okay. Uh, another one of our favorite downtown spots is Andaluca, and they are having their 20th anniversary. Uh, they'll be 20 years old on June 19th, so they're already 20 yes. years old. Um, and from now until the end of July, you can do their four-course anniversary menu and a glass of sparkling wine or cider for 48 bucks. That's now, good. forty-eight bucks is not a steep price to pay when Chef Sarah is the one doing the cooking. Yeah, that's a treat. Do you know what's on the anniversary menu? You know, I think it is on their website. When you when you tweet things out, you cannot put whole menus in there. So, and I did this that's a while true. ago, so I don't recall. But I think it's on their website. Okay. And I, as I recall, it sounded pretty good. Now, this next one is a personal sadness for me because I've done the PR for Ponty Seafood Grill for. 12 years and three months, but who's counting? you looked it up. Well, I'll tell you why this is shocking. Um, The shocking part is that they are going to close. Richard and Sharon want to um, move on. They've got some other business interests, and they're ready to get out of the restaurant business. Um, They've been in the restaurant business a lot longer than Ponty, and Ponty's been around 25 years. So it's time. Um, He did not find another restaurant person to buy it, so he has sold it to the Queen Anne Elks. So it will be a, a private place. But I was shocked to realize that I had been their PR person for almost half the life of the restaurant. Wow, that's right. That was really an eye-opener for me. Huh. And I'm so young. It's shocking. Well, I think I'm going to need to get an Elks membership or something. Can I I do that? We want to get down there. We've got to find out who's in the Queen Anne Elks and make friends. Uh, If they get the right chef, I might want to be a member. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to miss that view. I know. It's great sitting out there on the patio in the summer. No kidding. So, uh, The Atlantic, brought to you by Lex Petra of Allstat fame, is open. 2519 South Jackson Street with opening chef, Chef Richard Cano. I don't know if it's Cano or I, I don't know, honestly. I don't know. Is it, like, is it like Brothers with the Cano on the Mariners? Yeah. Wouldn't that be the best? Talk so, about a So what Seattle. should we know about The Atlantic? Stop asking me things I can't answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, it's it's Lex's next uh, next deal after Allstat, um, but I don't know a lot about it. I must say we've got a, it's a one we have to be checking out. Well, that's it. After the show's over, you got to get in your car and go down there and check it out. Twenty five nineteen yeah. South Jackson. <laughs> <clears throat> um, just to put on your calendar, starting in November, there is a Mohai. Uh, project coming up called Edible City, and it 
It's about Seattle's culinary history, and it was curated by Rebecca Den, our very own Rebecca Den. Our, I wonder if she wants any of our matchbooks. Hmm. We should talk to her about that. Yeah. Because it's going to run through November 16th, so they can swap some things it out starts, if they want. It starts November 19th. Oh, it starts on November 19th. Yeah, so oh, we okay. have time to get that oh, okay. information to her. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe we got something she wants. Yeah. Okay. I uh, see uh, Ethan and Angela Stoll, chosen by Restaurant Hospitality Magazine as recipients of the 2016 Richard Melman Innovator of the Year Award. That's a wonderful thing. It's always good to win awards. Yes. I don't know who Richard Melman is, but he must have been an innovator. He was an innovator. And, and of course, again, tweeting, you don't have room to put all this stuff down, and it's not sticking in my mind right now, but it's a very prestigious thing. And uh, a, a number of people in Seattle have won it, which is also a very good thing. Well, how many restaurants does Ethan have now? 97? Uh, I think it's only 89. 89, okay. Yeah. So, so that, that's innovation right there. I haven't checked since last Monday, so <laughs> it could be more. You need to have, like, be keeping score. Who's got more restaurants this week? <laughs> Tom Douglas, Ethan Stoll, or what's her name? I don't know. Oh, gosh. You know, um, when I was talking to Salvio and Leo the other day, too, I had to kind of laugh. They were saying they put the new place just very close to Barolo because they're hands-on people, and they wanted to be able to walk back and forth and still make the big decisions yeah. themselves. And I was thinking, that sounds familiar. Tom has all those restaurants. Yeah, right? that's the way Tom Douglas does it. And yeah. uh, Ethan just, just puts them within a scooter ride of each other, I think. <laughs> well, he's got them all in different neighborhoods, but there's a lot in Ballard right now of his. So. Yeah. Uh, Marjorie in Seattle has a new chef, Isaac Hutchins, and he at one time was at RN74. Uh, he's new to the Northwest, so I'm thinking it was at RN74 elsewhere. It might have been Vegas or something. And he worked for Daniel Boulud in Washington, D.C., so uh, they're really excited about what will be happening on that menu. Okay, now you're going to have to help me out on this one because, like you said, there's not enough characters, yeah. so I might have some questions. Um, Upchurch Wine... Red Mountain Vineyard opened, and it looks wonderful. And we they, have a link to a video on News Bites that you can watch. They actually opened a, a winery at the vineyard. So, so and it's a, it looks great. Let me go backward here. Upchurch is, is it Phil Upchurch? Chris. Chris Upchurch. Yes, and his wife Who and has his also been the winemaker for the DeLille. DeLille. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So that's and he's uh, had he's had his own Upchurch wine for a while now. It's his, he and his wife and his his daughter works there. Okay. Um, but they just opened the the winery, the building there, and the the YouTube video is um, kind of an opening thing. And he has a little speech about what they were doing, what it is, and what it means. And it's, it was kind of a cool thing. So I just put the connection up there. So let's see. Kiona is on the south side of Red Mountain. Kiona. Kiona. High Towers on the north side of Red Mountain. Tom Hedges is somewhere in between. Do you know where the Upchurch location is in? Red? I do not. Okay. There's a lot of detail I'm missing today. Have you noticed that? Well, I just, I just, I just have questions. You I know, know. I- inquiring minds. <laughs> uh, Gilbert Sellers it has uh, is doing music in the vines at the Hackett Ranch. Now the Hackett Ranch is named after the people who originally owned that property, and it was. Um, Fruit, I believe. But, Buddy Hackett? Yeah, Buddy Hackett and his okay. wife. Maybe maybe a brother. And uh, it's at 2620 Draper Road in Yakima. It's outside the city. Um, 
you can buy season tickets or individual show tickets, and we put the uh, link there. But I've been out to the Hackett Ranch, and it's just really, uh, you know, you just, it's a lovely place. The vines are out there. They've got their big uh, buildings or cellars and stuff, and it's um, it's a great place, and I can imagine what a great musical venue it would be. So that check that out if you're going to be over there. I remember we did that dinner a couple of years ago out in the vineyard. With, uh, Chef Dan Thiessen was there. Yeah, but that wasn't and... Gilbert Sellers. I know. Oh, okay. I'm just saying that it, it is fun to uh, be by the vines, dine and... in the vines. Yes. Uh, you know, but make sure you wear your shoes so you don't get those goat heads stuck in your. Yes. Feet. Do you remember they had? Um, yeah, they had Greek like belly, belly dancers, dancers and they, they were, were barefoot? barefoot. Wow, that had to be painful. All right. Uh, let's see. Pike Brewing. Pike Brewing. Offering three new tours, tour and tasting, $5, Tuesday through Saturday, 3 p.m., free evening tour on Tuesday through Saturday, Tuesday through Saturday at 6.30, and a beer experience Tuesday through Saturday, 12 to 1.30 p.m. for groups. So, okay, so that's three new tours. Yeah, and that's fascinating. You know, they've done some expansion, and they're... uh, Roseanne and Charles have been on the show before, yeah. and they told me recently that they're really proud of their menu right now at the at the pub. And so, uh, good time to visit. Good. Uh, Mamoon has ended lunch. Mamoon 2 has ended lunch. Um, and they started a happy hour and brunch. This is at 1508 Melrose Avenue. And uh, we might have even talked about this last month, I think. We did. We talked about Yeah, Mamoon. so I think we are good with our... All right. Our uh, news bites. That's our news bites. And uh, we are going to take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the calendar and what's going on in July. Excellent. This is Christian from Traveri Cellars in Yakima, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Andaluca, located in the Mayflower Hotel. Hi, my name is Jessica, and I'm just now moving here to Washington in Tumwater. And I'm looking forward to finding the best restaurants that Seattle has to offer. Jump left. Jump right. Jump left. Jump right. Jump left. Jump right. Jump left. Jump and. Welcome back. We are going to take a look at the calendar, what's happening around the area. The first one I want to talk about is actually the 4th of July and Canada Day at Semiamu Resort Golf and Spa. And one of the things I wanted to say before I talk specifically about them is that historically, restaurants are not crazy about 4th of July because nobody's inside eating. So the the restaurants that love it are places like Salty's on Alki or someplace that sees the you know, you can see the fireworks oh, yeah, from yeah, it. Yeah, I want to get a good seat. But most people are out in parks or picnicking or something like that. So uh, there's not a lot on our calendar about 4th of July. It's really places like Semiamu or resorts or things. They're doing things from the 1st to the 4th. Um, and they, if you're a guest there, I think it's no charge. But if you're not a guest, it's twenty five ninety five um, and thirteen ninety five for children under the age of 12. And in the evenings from 4 to 9 on all those days, first through the fourth, 
they're doing fireworks. Um, they have a, a menu that they're doing barbecue favorites. They're um, this is a long list of stuff on yeah, the menu. I'm, People I'm need to look by. at the calendar and for sure to read all this. And then they're topping off the whole weekend in in. Uh, uh, starting at Blaine Harbor with fireworks show, and that's visible from the east side of the resort. Um, and there's beachside activities, beachcombing, beach volleyball, croquet. So a lot of fun things. And if it, if you're a family looking for some fun, I think that that would be a great place to be. And and Canada Day is the day before. Another detail I am short on. Yeah, it's in there. And so I wonder if they shoot fireworks off from up at uh, oh. White. White. Salmon. No. no, White Rock. White Rock, yeah. 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 Huh. It's going to yeah. be busy up there for four days. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Silver Lake Winery, one of my favorite little spots You're out skipping there. right over our San Juan Island stuff. Fourth of July on the San Juan Islands? Uh, no, I was going to Sangria weekend at Silver I Lake know. Winery. Do you want me to throw? I'll throw in the San Juan Island stuff. Um You'd have to go out and look at the Visit San Juan, Visit com thing. But there is stuff happening on every island. So there's Orcas, there's uh, San Juan Island. Um, there's another, it's another bunch of really good family stuff. Parades, fun runs and walks, pancake oh, So what you're breakfast. doing is you're putting all the 4th of July stuff together. No, no, there's two separate things. One for Semiamu and one for the San Juan Islands. But right. I'm just personally, I'll just skip on to uh, Suncadia too if you want me to do that. Yeah, do that. And that's uh, right on, well, it may be, I bet they have stuff happening all the weekend, but on the 4th, um, they're doing things like s'mores by the fire pit, kids bike parade, red, white, and glow party, outdoor concerts, chili cook-off. Obviously, they're doing this on more than one day. Coffee and canines walk, uh, lawn games, so a whole bunch of things. And reservations at Suncadia during this time include a continental breakfast, a cocktail, beer, or glass of wine at the Canary Lounge, two spa day passes daily, and daily turndown service. So that's a really fun thing to be doing, too. Okay. And if you're not into the 4th of July festivities, head on over to Silver Lake Winery on the 2nd. I hope you caught the show early in the month. Um, on the 2nd, they'll be doing a sangria weekend. So uh, a winery doing a sangria weekend in a agricultural area that's well known for fruit. Yum. <laughs> that makes sense. Yum. That makes sense. Okay. And then we got a, um, a Pacific Northwest Brewers Dinner at Steelhead Diner coming up. So they're going to be featuring, it looks like, uh, a Lesion Brewing mm-hmm. Company. And uh, that's owned by Anheuser-Busch now, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. But they're going to have uh, Annie Watkins there from Elysian Brewing and then Anthony Polizzi, the chef, who we like very much. Yeah, we, uh, we love his He's doing cooking. a great dinner. So there's one for you. That's going to be on July 7th. Also on the 7th, there's a camaraderie wine dinner at the Fireside over at Port Ludlow. So it's an educational wine dinner with winemaker Don Corson. So it's family-style dinner and wine pairings for $65 per person. we got another winemaker dinner coming up on the 13th. Wait, there's another one on the 7th. This is amazing how many are on the 7th. Bell and Wheat. Yeah, Bell and Wheat on the 7th. And then, uh, so, yeah, so the Bell and Wheat is actually, is that, it's a, that's a beer deal. That's a, the Schooner Exact Brewing Company. Yeah. 
So we, oh yeah, you, you like beer and wine? We got beer and wine. We got beer and wine going all over yeah. town. Uh, the Woodenbill Winemaker Dinner, Distiller Triathlon. Oh, Brewer Distiller Triathlon. Yes. So this is uh, a whole deal at the Gateway Park. Wilmot Gateway Park. All for a good cause. Over 300 participants. Too many to list here. <laughs> that they will be raising money for the Good Times Project. And... Uh, Looks like a good deal. Check the calendar for more details on that. Then there's an upcoming Ultimate Chef's Dinner at the Carlisle Room. This is one of Tom Douglas's place, places. Um, Chef Desi Bono will host two chefs from Ox in Portland, which is, you know, the place to be in Portland right now. And they've just done a new cookbook, Around the Fire. So they're... Uh, the dinner is inspired by their cookbook with the Carlisle's concept in mind, which is plant forward with protein on the side. Mm. So um, I think that should be very interesting. That's $125. It's a pre-fee menu, um, seasonally relevant local produce, produce and prime local meats and fish, distinctive preparations. And then on the 15th, the Bite of Seattle, 35th anniversary. Back at the Seattle Center again. And uh, if you haven't been before, you owe it to yourself to go and check it out. Say hi to the shortcake guy when you see him. <laughs> and the funnel cake guy. And uh, always good stuff. That's going on uh, July 15th. Oh, well, no. Well, it's a whole weekend. It's the 15th through the 17th. Mm -hmm. So, uh, especially if you're new to town, you want to go into the Bite of Seattle at least once and then decide if you want to go again. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's a great way to experience a lot of different restaurants from around the city all at once. And, you know, on a nice day. Which, oh, place. and there's always the the alley. You know, uh, they they get like, I don't know, it's eight or ten restaurants and they put them in an alley. You pay an extra uh, uh, entry fee and yeah. then you get – it's a little step up from, you know, the other things that are yeah, around. That used and, to be done by – Kathy Casey, is that still Kathy Casey's alley? Or that... uh, no, it's not, and I'm just blanking right now. Um, I'm not sure. Who's sponsoring that, but I, I'm, I'd have to go look. But that's a fun thing to do. And they also do cooking demos and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really fun on a nice day to be just wandering around eating food and, and drinking beverages. Might so. not be too fun if it's raining, but... Yeah, but then you could, I don't know, grab your food and run. <laughs> The last thing we have for July, uh, and this is a funny thing. I think uh, a lot of people haven't been putting things on the calendar because they're all so busy because normally summer is a big time. But on the 21st, there's the Heirloom Tomato Extravaganza at the Clore Center. Now, you may be thinking the Clore Center is all about wine, and it's in Prosser. Um, but they, they do a ton of wine stuff. In fact, go out to their site. There's a lot of things. They have blind-tasting Saturdays and a lot of fun stuff out there. But on the 21st, they have a chef coming in, Chef Kristen, and doing heirloom tomato extravaganza. And I, they've put items that are on there, which I won't go over because it says menu may be changed. So yeah. you know, no sense in talking Depending about it. But it's all going to be bloom on time. Yeah, or not. but it is definitely going to be all about tomatoes. Um, so and you, wine and tomatoes—that's a tricky pairing because they're both pretty acidic. Yes, and interestingly. They um, have added a perfectly paired wine flight to complete each course, three-ounce pours. So you can f add that cost on. It's $45 per, 
per person and the $12 for wine pairing if you decide to do that. But you also get to take home recipes and you get to ask the chef questions, hearty sample portions of each recipe, so very fun. All right. Well, that's our calendar section. Uh, we've got an interview coming up here with a couple of the guys from out at the Captain Whidbey Inn, and we'll be getting to that right after a word from our sponsor. Excellent. This is Chef Jeremy McLaughlin with Salty Seafood Grills, and you are listening to Seattle Dining Show. Hi, my name is Shelly. I'm from Tacoma, and one of my favorite places to eat in Tacoma is Josefina's. Kenny, are you awake? Welcome back to the Seattle Dining Show for July. We're here today with Chef Ryan Hauser and owner Lloyd Moore of the Captain Whidbey Inn on Whidbey Island, surprisingly enough. Thank you for being here, both of you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Well, thank you. Um, Lloyd, we're going to start with you and just go and talk about the inn a little bit. And I couldn't believe it, but I went back and looked in our archives. It's been two years ago this month that wow. we came out and interviewed you. And so the story's still there. So people will have a place to go back and access all the history. But I do want to go over some of the history. Um, let's start with you. What made you want to buy and run the inn? Well, you know, I've always had a, a great interest in the history. And, and I grew up in the Northwest. So, you know, That's for right. me, it's a home, you know, and, and I love it. And here I get a chance to, to sit on a, a wonderful uh, Cove, Pen Cove, you know, and I have a dock and I have uh, lots of beautiful landscape and gardens to, to mess around with and a 108 year old inn. So I, for me, it's got a lot of a lot of things that just jump out and say, you know, it's a great place to spend yeah. time. And tell us why you, because you were working in New York. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just spent a, uh, 15 years in New York, and we were coming back here. I'd sold my business there, and coming back here to take care of my family. And mm-hmm. so for me, it was kind of a wonderful uh, bridge. And so I commuted back and forth between Manhattan and Woodby Island for the first couple of years. Oh, and wow. it was just, you know, it was a perfect balance between the culture of the Northwest and the culture of the city. So mm-hmm. it was great. And then, yeah. you know, starting you miss business. all those frequent flyer miles? Oh, man, I do, you know. It used to be I could just pop on a plane and go anywhere. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> now you take the ferry everywhere. <laughs> yeah, the ferry is very similar, a little shorter. <laughs> well, what was your business? Is it Was it connected at all? And people can find this out in the article as well. Oh, no, no. I Actually, I had left uh, the restaurant business as uh, when I was able to get a scholarship because I was putting myself through college, you know, mm-hmm. and so it's ancient history. Right. And at that time, I'd started at the uh, – I started at making um, – uh, Thousand Island dressing, I think it was, in 55-gallon drums oh, wow. for El Gaucho in Eastgate. And you'd have to be an ancient person oh, to know gosh. that. Oh, my gosh, in Eastgate. <laughs> so anyway, we ended up going through and managing the hotel. And I'd, I'd done the maitre d' and I'd done all the different stops and left because I got a scholarship. And so I was done with the restaurant yeah. business. And now you know, I've got a wonderful place and I've got a wonderful yeah. chef with Ryan and you know, the place is rocking. That's so great. It is beautiful. Um, one of the things that you've done is renovate the inn, leaving it as original as you can. Mm-hmm. 
So tell us a little bit about some of those renovations and what's happened recently. What's been your latest project? Oh, my. You know, there's always something interesting going on or something I like, like to talk about. The ones I don't care to talk about. Thanks, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the fun ones. You know, the, the thing about a, a historic property is you, if you have a respect for the, for the, uh, the arc, of, arc of history, I would mm-hmm. say, you know, it's really a, an interesting challenge. I came out of the design field and, and built new products and high-tech products and, and lots of stuff in lots of different industries, and mm-hmm. it's a wonderful experience. But an old piece of property has its character, it has its history, it has mm-hmm. its people, and, you know, it has this patina of age. And so from a design standpoint, you want to make it better, but you want to be true to all of that history at one time. So exactly. when you do a project, it's, it's quite some, a lot of thinking before you start cutting mm-hmm. anything. And it's on the list of historical places, right? It, yeah, it's a wonderful. It sits in EB Reserve, and, which is a, a, an unusual national park, and it is a historical preserve. And so the inn is uh, the inn for the reserve, which is, I can't remember how large it is. But so so you, have to get, you have to get special permission anytime you want to fix something or replace or do a, a modification or not? Well, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a partnership, and that's what makes it a unique reserve because it's both public and private. And so um, as long as there's a lot of conversation and respect between the, the parties, it's pretty much, you know, you can do what you need to do, but please, you know, respect the history. And oh, okay. So it's, it's really quite good. And, of course, if I painted the place purple, it would probably be a little yeah, exciting. Yeah, somebody would have something to say about yeah, that. Yeah, so. Probably the Huskies would. <laughs> that was their well, idea, really. It might be a good idea for business. I don't even know. Yes, the uh, University of Washington captain would be in. There you go. <laughs> go dogs, a yeah. special dog for dogs, you. Dogs sleep free. <laughs> Maybe a Pencove muscle dog. What do you there think? you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> one of the historical things that I enjoyed that you were telling us about one time was that there's a picture of the guy who helped build the inn, and mm-hmm. it is hanging on one of the original logs that mm-hmm. he actually brought to build. Well, that's yeah. the joy of it. And the deeper you get into a historical project, and especially in a smaller community like Coopville, is that the history is there not only in the books and the photographs, but the living people are there. The great, great grandniece of Judge Still, who was the entrepreneur who commissioned the lodge in 1906 okay. or 7, is still there and she comes to dinner. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's terrific. So if I need to know something, she has books of his poetry, books of his writing, his history, and oh. his fabulous resource. So just to give you some stories about that is that you know, we're putting in a new carpet, and we mm-hmm. want to make this stuff. And so we get, uh, you know, something that's appropriate and lovely and everything else, and the installer shows up, and he's just working away, and a terrific local guy, and he says, well, you know, my great-great-grandfather built this in, oh. and his name was, uh, what is his name? Oh, I've forgotten right now. It'll come back to me. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, and we have a picture of him pulling the logs out of the woods to build the inn, oh, and gosh. so here this this chain of history again is is part of the end and it's just totally fascinating because he has great stories which you will never find written down about his great great grandfather exactly and his grandfather and his (laughs) boy goes on get out and get those written down now when did the the units that are on the back side that look over the meadow and the lake when were those added and 
Well, the property's been added to several times. The uh, cabins, I think, were the first. There are four wonderful uh, cabins with great fireplaces and private mm -hmm. decks, and, and they next to the next to the one. And those were rated in the '60s. And then the lagoon side, which is what you're referring yes. to, was the '70s edition. Okay. And so, uh, you know, each has its own character, and yeah. it somehow it blends together. Yeah. And there were houses around the end that the previous owner was purchasing every once in a while, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so those are included as part of the property, and people can rent those as well? Well, they are still held by the um, uh, previous owner. So, yeah, we do, mm -hmm. and we're in, we're in contact. And if they need a, a beach cabin or we need extra space and, and things like that, they're available oh, for renting. So, but okay. we don't have any ownership in it. Okay. Interesting. That was Since it's summer, that was one of the things I was thinking of. You mentioned the deck. And that deck off the dining room and the bar is... A, such a perfect place. <laughs> well, you know, as a, as a matter of fact, I, I throw everybody off the deck and I go have my paper and my coffee <laughs> and, a, and a scotch out there. And, yeah. Uh, were that impossible. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody gets here for another no, hour. No, no uh, the summer, summer's here and the deck is busy. It is, oh, it is okay. one of those perfect places where you have a, that great intimacy with the water and you've got the historic inn behind you mm -hmm. and you can have great food from Chef Ryan or you can have a, a terrific beverage, you know, and local wines. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's sort of that quintessential summer spot to stop and just kind of hang out and yeah. have, a, you know, Penco Mussels. And our, our neighbors, Penco Mussels, and the brothers bring over the mussels once a week and twice a week. And, you know, you can't get fresher and you can't get more northwest. Yeah, it's just ideal. Um, you also do some fun specials, and I'm primarily thinking of a combination of the rooms and, and food. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to remember now if it was Valentine's Day or something, but you had some deal where chef would actually bring the dinner to the cabin and talk about what you were going to be eating. And, mm -hmm. and it was a, you know, you do stuff like that periodically. So there's fun events going on. Oh, you know, and that's, that's the thing about a smaller property, you know, and we're, we're local and Ryan's a, a terrific guy to talk with people and he loves the food. And so when you can put together an interesting space, uh, a roaring fire in your, in your cabin and uh, terrific food and the chef comes by and says, Hey, do you want to know something about this? Or what are you interested in? Maybe mm -hmm. I can make some modifications so we can do something for interesting for your 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 dinner. It makes for a wonderful evening because you get yeah. this an extra layer of what the food's about and what the the community's about and where the food came from. Because mm -hmm. Ryan goes way out of his way to uh, take care of the locals and to bring local stuff in. I know that's it. Really does make it special. And and I we're of course foodies and we love to hear that stuff. But I think for everybody. You know, the average Joe who's just going to try and get a, have a little getaway and come spend the night and have dinner, it's still really meaningful. Oh, man. You it's know, it, it, it just, it's something unexpected for them, and they're like, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, you know, and that's kind of what uh, I bring to the party. You know, food is, you know, foodies are foodies, and it's terrific. But if you bring all this other stuff, it really makes for, like you say, a more rich experience, and it's approachable. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to be a... Yeah. Uh, somebody, you know, at the top tier of the financial ladder to enjoy it. Exactly. Just come on up and, you know, we're yeah. easy. You know, one of the things I wanted you to talk about a little bit is uh, expectations. Because you've told me stories about uh, brides from New York coming out, and they think they're going to be at a resort on Penn Cove, and they get here and it's 107 years old, or, and they're like, what is this wood floor thing? You know, and so it... 
I'd like you to talk a little bit about that and what people can expect when they come to the inn. Sure. Well, yeah, that's the beauty. We talked about how the inn had different uh, buildings at different phases. Mm -hmm. and, and so the, what you have is a the basic historic inn, which is a 1907 structure with log walls and log chambers and, you know, creaky staircases mm -hmm. and wonderful wide planks that were cut off the local wood. And, you know, here's a picture of the guy dragging these logs down to build the log. Well, that's historic. You yeah. Know? And ghosts, right? And well, well, I, I I'm kind of agnostic about ghosts, you know, so, but uh, some people say that they've seen ghosts. You know, so. hmm. How how long have they been in the bar at that time? Uh, the ghosts. Uh, let's see. Uh, again, I I can't recall all those details. I don't. I'm not sure that I've ever. <laughs> Anyway, no, so um, anyway, uh, you have this wonderful historic inn, and so people that come with this expectation that you can have history and you can also have uh, an authentic experience sometimes get confused because yeah. for me it's about the integrity of the history, and so um, the question comes down, do you tear out you know, history to put in five-star bathrooms. Yeah. You know, we have wonderful facilities, and they're terrific, and everything is great, but it is a historic experience in yeah. the end. Now, if they want something different, you know, uh, we offer the lagoon rooms, which are great, and, you know, mm -hmm. we're rebuilding everything there, too, and so it's much more of a uh, higher-level hotel experience. Ours is a historic Mm -hmm. level experience yeah. all quality but different experiences so you get confused and we try to talk about that yeah so if you want a, a fireplace with uh, 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 private baths that are new and tiled and overlooking the sound we have that in mm -hmm. the cabins but you know the inn is the inn so. yeah and i'm not and, gonna mess with it <laughs> and all of it is comfortable it's not like you're gonna go and think oh my god i can't even sleep the beds are you know no. it's it's a wonderful place to be it's just it's not the fairmont well, you know yeah. it's like people need to kind of understand well exactly if you if you want a weston experience you know you go to weston yeah. and if you want a wonderful historic experience that has great integrity yeah. and wonderful local food and, and yeah. everything local wines well the inn is that experience and it's it's a unique and wonderful experience but it is a different experience mm -hmm. and it's also as you said, it's on the reserve, and it's beautiful to walk around the grounds, and there's the gardens, and it's yeah. it's yeah, garden is the garden is just going great this year. Oh, We've it? got so many flowers and the and the herbs and the and the the things that are growing for Ryan's garden. He's out there every day trimming this stuff and throwing it on the plate, and uh, he's smiling know. right now. He's thinking, oh, <laughs> <that> garden. <laughs> well, you know, he's he's a great gardener too. On top of it. All right. Um, we've got about a minute left. Is there anything else that you would like people to know about the inn that we haven't talked about? Well, you know, you can reach us by float plane if you just want to take an mm. evening to, uh, fly up with uh, one of the airlines here. And it lands at our dock and we'll feed you and you can get back on and be home by 9 o'clock. Oh, you that's know? way too fun. <laughs> and landing by the dock is the way they used to go there way back 107 years ago or whatever. Wasn't there a mosquito fleet, the, the boats that went there? Absolutely. They crisscrossed the sound from everywhere. And, and there are wonderful pictures on the wall of these great old boats landing at the dock. Well, there were no roads connecting the island. So, right. you know, we go back so far, it's, you know, ancient. Yeah. It's anyway. amazing. All right. Well, um, I think we've covered the end pretty well, but uh, we're all pretty hungry for information about the food. So we will be right back with Chef Ryan to talk about the food at the Captain Webby Inn. Hi, this is Manny from Manny's Lonchera in beautiful Moisture, Oregon. And you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Hi, my name's Roland, and I'm from Austin, Texas. And when I'm in the Pacific Northwest, I like to go to the Culture Cheese Club and eat the hot mess with beer, cheese, and beer and pretzels. 
We're back with the Seattle Dining Show and Lloyd Moore, Moore, owner of the Captain Hood Bean. And this segment, he might get to talk a little bit, but mostly this is about Chef Ryan Hauser. So, Ryan, first of all, tell us, when did you arrive at the inn and what brought you here? Um, I arrived at the inn uh, May twenty second, 2014. <laughs> I walked in, I tore up the menus, I threw away the deep fryer, I threw away the can opener. We've been making everything from scratch ever since. Oh, that's fabulous. Especially that deep fryer thing. Yeah, we don't need a deep fryer. I'm trying to make conscious choices for my guests and everybody in the building constantly to bring the food up to where it should be, which is actually taking food back in time where we started. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, uh, Lloyd and I have talked about this before, but so much of your food can come right from the island. Uh, most of the food comes right from the island. We produce probably about 30% of the produce right on site. Oh, yeah. uh, I focus on uh, locally grown produce, like uh, lettuce, strawberries, whatever we can get, uh, which also keeps us very in tune with the seasons because mm-hmm. we can only serve what we can grow. We grow and focus on a lot of edible flowers on the property. Oh, yeah. I find it's a, it's a viable form of trace minerals and vitamins that you can't get in other foods available in your local retail markets because mm. they're just too delicate and fragile. And mm-hmm. they, they apply a lot of beauty and color. And focusing on those flowers also brings um, insects and bees to the garden, which helps pollinate the other plants that we're using there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And when you say it goes back in time, you're talking about a simpler time when people didn't have, like, 7,000 ingredients in every dish. And I'm, t- I'm talking about low technology, high technology. I'm talking about boiling water. I'm talking about using an oven. I'm talking about skipping the convenience, never cutting corners, mm-hmm. churning our own butter, baking wow. our own bread, making our own salt, and really, really wow. focusing on where ingredients come from and giving the respect to the food and extending that to our guests. That really fits with the inn, too. I mean, you're in an historic property. Why wouldn't you be doing that? That's exactly why I'm there. Yeah. yeah. So wow. no, no microwave either, huh? There is a microwave on site. We do not use it on the menu, no. It's um, mostly for employees, and they reheat their leftovers. No, we're not using it in the kitchen. <laughs> it's good for the coffee. You can take yeah. that up a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's a little warm-up, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, where did your love of, of all local come from? You're from the Northwest. Well, you know, I, I, I stand on the back deck of the inn, and I look out, and I see my menu. I see duck. Mm-hmm. I see bees and honey and flowers and fish, mm-hmm. and I hear birds, and I see the trees. And I, 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 I pull all of my inspiration from what I live in every day. Wow. I live on the water. I work on the water. I, I see the ingredients. I feel them. I know them. I have a relationship and a connection with all the plants and living beings around me. Mm-hmm. And for me, being a chef is being a master of the universe, taking everything that's biological as an ingredient, everything inanimate as a tool, and every element as a technique, and I fuse them together on one plate. It's the most zen experience I have, and I try and give wow. that to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you taste that. Oh, I taste everything. You know. No, I mean the person, like the guest taste that. <laughs> yes. And he's still alive, so it's working. <laughs> but, I mean, the guest taste that. I think when that much intention is put into food, oh, you couldn't people miss it. taste it. Yeah, you couldn't miss it. The, the number of uh, guest, positive guest comments I get about the food um, is evidence to me that what I'm doing is right. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just want to keep evolving. And, and, and be, by evolving, I mean maintaining that connection with the mm-hmm. seasons, with the environment, with the plants, mm-hmm. with, with the animals around us, and as well as the guests. You know, um, They come to us. They bring their demographic and their ideas of what food are to me. And I use that as part of my inspiration. They're a part mm-hmm. of my everyday living. Living experience oh, also. Oh, okay. 
So you're hearing what people say and thinking, yeah, we can do something with that. Yeah. And then I'm hearing what they're doing and I'm thinking they need to evolve too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they need to get their palate well, in order. Well, you know, one, of the, one of the things I like about Ryan is that when he's out talking to a guest, the guest will sit there and say, well, you know, I did this da-da-da-da-da-da. And Ryan says, well, maybe I can do something with that. And he goes back into the kitchen and all of a sudden the plate pops out with this this input from the guest. Oh. You know, that's unexpected and not planned. And it's just the most terrific experience. They never experience. forget that. It's nope, they never do. And then I, I, will, I will contact them and let them know, oh, this is what I've done. I'll even send them a recipe. And this is what we're doing. This is when we're going to be doing it. They get to revisit the inn as part of that experience. Oh, wow. There's just so much history and culture with the Captain Would Be Inn. And, and, and not, just, not just the people who built it or the people that work there, but the people that return. The guests that mm-hmm. come in return. That's why we're not serving customers. We're serving guests. We know their names. We understand their families, their history, their presence. And they come back to us. They stay with us. Mm-hmm. And they become part of that culture. And we document that and move forward all the time. Yeah. And I'm sure it's like this in other parts of the country. But because I've spent most of my life here, there is that family tradition of doing things. You know, some people always go to, like, Chelan. Some, you know, and there are people who've probably been coming to the inn with yeah. their families forever. This last weekend, just a short side, this last weekend I spent uh, four hours with the family, and, you know, they're planning their daughter's wedding. You know, it's a wonderful thing, and, you know, it's such a special time, and it's just absolutely great. So, you know, we want to get it right. And so we're spending this time, and then about halfway through the conversation, she says, well, you know, my wife and I got married here, and we and we had our honeymoon here. And I said, oh, my gosh, she got pictures? I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, please send them. So that's a second generation, and that's wow. 30 years. And it's it's really a very cool experience to be part of that. And the fact that the, that the daughter or the son wanted to go where her parents got married is interesting. So many kids would do the exact opposite of what their parents well, that, do. But that was yeah. My kids, that's the last thing they want to do is get married where I got married. And, and to that point, Tom, the, the interesting thing is that's exactly it. We were just, oh, we're not going to go there. We're not the daughter. And it's, mm-hmm. We're not going there. We're not going there. We're not going there. And so they visited all the places where they thought they wanted to be. And then they got to the end and they said, well, this is just what we want. <laughs> and so, so you're, you're right. But uh, they, it took a long circle yeah, to get there. They had to come to it on their own. Exactly. Oh, exactly. my gosh. And then when they got a hint of the food, what it was going to be like, they were ready to roll. Yeah, they were happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and you did grow up in the Northwest, right? So you've kind of been connected. I did. I am a native um, Puget Sound Islander, I would call myself. But okay. I grew up in, uh, as a small boy in farming communities, okay. you know, familiar with um, foraging in my local environment, picking mushrooms, oh, wow. chasing deer, you know, <laughs> eating birds, whatever I could get my hands on. You know, I started cooking very young. That was my next question. When did you realize you were interested in actually cooking um, the things you were the chasing? First thing, the first thing I ever cooked was a mud pie. I used real frosting. <laughs> I was about two. I've been cooking ever since. Um, uh, food was food was a huge passion of mine ever since I was a very young child. Oh, okay. uh, my mother was a chef. Okay. And um, I surpassed her immediately. <laughs> Even at two or three. Yeah, I, I, I hope she doesn't. I hope she doesn't hear this. Yeah. Make sure you listen all the way to the end of the show when you listen back to this. <laughs> um, I just always had a passion for food. I've always I was always a fat kid growing up. Um, I remember I was seven years old. My mother said, "What do you want for Christmas?" I said, "All I want is eggs Benedict and Santa." <laughs> Santa Claus came in and woke me up when I was seven and taught me how to stir that butter in slow. Oh, been, I make my, my hollandaise gosh. the same way ever since. Oh, my gosh. That's one of my favorite things. I've holidays. been uh, professionally cooking since I was 13. 
Wow. And where did you start? Was it a neighborhood place? or? A- it was a neighborhood place. It was a small mom-and-pop place in Monroe, Washington called Stefani's. And it was a 13-seat, 13-table uh, re- restaurant. Uh, we had a line out the door. We made everything from scratch. Wow. Yeah, it was a good experience. Yeah. And did you start bussing and then get into the kitchen? Or no, right the I kitchen? started immediately as a prep cook and became a line cook within a few months. Wow. Strong That's passion. young. Yeah, it was, you That's know. young. Well, I had to learn how to cook. It's what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah. yeah. So you were ready to roll. Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. Now, you have also worked on the at the Orcas Hotel, and it, mm-hmm. it seems to me your bio's talked about for the past five years you've been trying to bring that history and that type of cooking back. Yeah, I, I find that that's where my career is going. Is I'm really, um, not that I'm focusing on moving beyond the Captain Whidbey, but right now my career is about reinventing restaurants and historical landmarks throughout the San Juan Islands. It's about preserving a culture of food and island travel and a way of life um, that, that I have grown to love being a native Puget Sound Islander. Um, it's a good experience. I see a lot of similarities between the Orcas Hotel and the Captain Whidbey Inn. They both date back to the same about the same time. Oh, okay. Orcas Hotel was built 2012, uh, I mean, um, 19. 1912, 1912, and the Captain Whidbey Inn was 1907. Um, although the Captain Whidbey Inn provides me with all those water views on both sides of the property uh. and all the gardens and um, a great team to work with, um, it, it's been a good experience. I like working in historical buildings. Um, I like... The, the culture and the people that come to it. Um, the history of food is really important, too. There's a history of food in the islands that uh, um, transcends beyond our documented history of food. Um, long before the white man came, we had the Lummi natives, and they prepared mm-hmm. all their food um, from ingredients that was found locally, foods that you won't see in your local market, foods that most people don't even know are edible. Um, and we really try and bring a lot of that into mm-hmm. it. And I see that experience being an opportunity in these historical venues. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense. There's a logical progression mm-hmm. to bring that in. So I, I personally never experienced ghosts at the Captain Whidbey, and I don't think there are any. There are none. But, uh, man, at the Orcas Hotel, the room <laughs> upstairs in the top and the back, I saw her. Yep, yep. <laughs> It's definitely it's definitely got some some long term guests. Was so, that uh, before or after the aperitif dinner and the, the drinks yeah. and uh, what, what timing was that? I think it was when I got up in the middle of the morning to go to the restaurant. <laughs> uh, what about uh, grass fed beef? Are you using grass fed beef at the? I'm not using grass fed beef currently. I I will use grass fed beef when it when it's the right time and the right animal. Um, I've been out and visited um, local Three Sisters Farms. Um, there are certain animals I have my eye on. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and they're we've, nervous. We've used grass-fed beef in the restaurant. Um, we actually don't always get the best feedback from the guests because their palates and their perception of yeah. beef and food are completely washed by a consumer market. Yeah. They've yeah. been told what beef is their entire life, and when they experience real beef, real natural beef, fed from local grasses, they're not familiar. Yeah. You know, we just I just interviewed Jeff Green, who owns B&E Meats, and I was asking him about grass-fed beef, and he said, you know, we brought it in. We brought every part of the animal in. Um, we made a big push. We marketed it. We did everything, and uh, we just couldn't keep it in. We've, we have it frozen. Or if you need something specific, we can get it for you. But people wouldn't buy it. They said it was gamey or this or that. Tom and I have like switched over, and it's the best tasting beef. Oh, it is. But it, apparently, but there's, but there's the average change. person yeah. isn't 
but still, it's still tricky trying to do like a prime rib, right? That sort of thing. And then I guess now they got this thing going on. You know, it used to be uh, grass-fed, grain-finished to fatten mm-hmm. them up those last 60, 90 days. And, and now I guess somebody said they're doing grain-fed grass Finished, finished, which yes. I'd try that because then I know that it would have that omega-3 in it. Yeah. But uh, there's no omega-3 in it after 60 days on a... That was interesting. The guy who told finish. me that is the catering chef for Skillet. Yeah. Which I thought was... I, I don't know why I thought that was so interesting, but I just... Uh, you know, of, often catering isn't maybe when they're going to use... Can I can I ask is Skillet using grass fed? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, I, don't I think know. he was. We, I was asking him if they did probably, oh, and he okay. was saying, you know, the funny thing is, it's kind of hard to get because they corn finish them, and after thirty days, it's any benefit you have is gone. Yeah. So uh, it's hard to find, and so he said, and I've forgotten now if it was. Oh, I can't remember who who which farm is doing it, but somebody local is starting to do the corn fed up until the end and then grass finish. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to find some of that. Yeah, it would be interesting. Yeah, I would like to get some too. Probably bring it in as a special. I like to do a lot of specials out at the restaurant, and for oh, okay. me, a special is special. I find a special ingredient. I like to know a little bit about the energy of that ingredient, where it came from, who produced it, um, how it was raised, and then I like to make. Um, a fabulous dish out of it and then offer it as a special to guests mm-hmm. and let people know that it's there. So the people that want the food that I'm going to be serving are there at the right time I'm doing it. Just, oh, so it's well, not like a just coincidence that they yeah, happen to be there. You've Or let it's them not know. sitting around waiting for the right person to walk in. The right people are coming at the right day for the right time. Mm-hmm. You know, just like any one of the special yeah. dinners we do, whether it's a, a holiday event or it's a wine dinner. Yeah. Well, yeah. Then we, what we'll do is we'll just go in on a cow together. <laughs> and you you get a half a side and we'll take a half side. You can feed all the guests and we'll put some bars on. Uh, I'm in the market for a half a cow. Do you know that actually? I, somebody sent that to me, and I at first I thought it was a joke, but no, they're doing crowdfunding on cows, <laughs> so that you can everybody can pony up. Excuse that phrase, pony up. But um, <laughs> and uh, well, in and France, share in that. France, that's not unusual. Yeah, they pony know, up on. No, we just don't like to talk about it here, but. <laughs> Um, you said you talked about special dinners, and that's another thing I'd like to know to have people know about because you do do a lot of. I mean, your holidays are very traditional, and you've done them for a long time. But there, are, what other events do you do, and what? Well, we've been focusing a lot on wine dinners, mm-hmm. and I've been doing um, you know anywhere from five to seven course wine dinners. Each course is paired with wine, and these are. Chef Ryan Hauser original creations, only to be seen once in a lifetime, never to be duplicated. You, you won't duplicate them. I won't duplicate them. I don't write recipes. Wow. Um, they're, they're amazing. And it is all the quality of what I prepare every day um, turned up a few notches. Yeah. Like um, I, take, I bring the art to the table. That is a fact. You mm-hmm. know, people often are afraid to even... Um, you know, eat it sometimes. It's so it's beautiful. So beautiful. Oh but I, I, I have a very discerning palate, and I take a lot of um, great, I pay a lot of great attention, and take a lot of time when tasting wines to find the right notes and and and, and flavors. And I bring all that to every dish. Wow. Well, and then the thing, you know, I wish we had some pictures because you know they have this fabulous 
balancing of flavors and textures with the wine, and you know, oh, yeah. and then it's set in the the environment that makes it really conducive to a good time. And then they come out, and and they really are works of art because there's such a skill to putting together, yeah. the, composing the plate, you know. And then with the local ingredients, they just pop with color from the flowers. You should have some pictures of that. How many people can you seat for a wine dinner? Thousands. We, <laughs> I, I typically, I typically have been seating a twenty-two. Um, it's because um, I don't want anything to ever um, deter us from the highest quality I could ever possibly produce. Mm-hmm. And if you have too many people, it's yeah. too much. You know, and this is the only lifetime I will have today's opportunity, and I, I, I intend to make the most of it. Yeah. And, and, and I'm speaking just a little bit on that. You know, Ryan gets to do the sizing. You know, and there's a there are business imperatives and there's food imperatives. And for me, you know, on something as special as a wine dinner, it's really about the food and the wine that's the mm-hmm. imperative. And so we try to make it fit what what it can be just the perfect amount to come out of the kitchen and and with the perfect ingredients that are unique to that evening. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's that's kind of the coolness of it. You know, oh, that's really special that it's never that even from you, it's not coming back. That's a. Well, it, That's it's, a unique experience. It's, it's beautiful for me. I, I love um, any opportunity I have to have open creativity. I love original creations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's that experience we're looking for. It's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to ever even be able to taste my food. Mm-hmm. I have thousands of followers who just love pictures of my food who will never taste it. And then oh. we have a venue that fills people who want to come in and eat my food off of real silver silverware and have a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it warms my heart every day. Oh yeah, so you do. You've got special silverware and plates or something that you that goes along with the creations. Oh, of course. Every um, you know, I like to think of a plate as a, a blank canvas, and you know, you have to hang the right canvas on the right wall, mm-hmm. and we do that with every dish and everything from the garden to the table is very methodical. Everything is thought out in great detail and executed yeah. perfectly. Yeah. Now. Have you had trouble getting people in the kitchen? Because I think sometimes on islands or when you're away, you know, from vast metropolises, it's hard to get people. And then you've got a very high standard. And, Lloyd, you have a high standard in terms of service for the inn as well. Are you saying the doors are thin in the kitchen? Is that what you're saying? No. (laughs) Having trouble getting people in the kitchen? No. Ah, we try to weed out the knuckleheads early. You know. <laughs> most, most of the kitchen staff stays, you know, mm-hmm. and and the reason they stay is because Ryan is demanding, and and you know, there's no compromise with getting the food out in quality. But on the other hand, the humor is good, and the energy is high, mm-hmm. and you know, there's a respect for the people on on every side yeah. of it, and so. When we do find the right match, and there's a there's an effort to that, and mm-hmm. it's not as easy in the city, you know, they tend to stay because yeah. you know it's a good place. And if they want to be out there, you know, if they want to be a little removed, it's perfect. It couldn't be more beautiful. I mean, well, I, I approach um, um, employing culinarians on my team as. They're my students. It's a teacher. It's a teacher-student relationship, um, where they are there because they get to work for me. Because every day I blow their minds. Because every day they get up and find another reason why they love food. Yeah. They grow. Their families grow. The people in their world are appreciative of it. And um, that's that's where all that kitchen love comes from. Mm-hmm. That's where all the passion for the f- food is fueled from. Is from a, a, a great staff, a great team, um, almost more like a family mm-hmm. than a work a work team. And um, I. 
I approach it all with education. Um, my staff, is, which is very small, I have uh, two brilliant sous chefs. They, um, they have culinary exams. They have vocabulary quizzes. Wow. We test everything constantly. Every day when we bake the bread, we stand back and find three things we can do different every single day. Whether it's, well, when it's 70 degrees out, we have to close the window halfway. We make changes every day to control control the the finished product. And it's, it's an evolutionary process. The only constant we have is that we are constantly evolving. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and it's that change, you know, that it's really represents like what's going on in our world around us. The 13 moons that are constantly changing, the, 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 the water, the tides, everything around yeah. us. And, and, and everything moves as like a jellyfish, you know, ebb and flow. And, and we adapt very well. So one, one little thing about the bread while we're here. Oh, no. So, so you know, <laughs> this, this wonder, it's like Grandma's Kitchen when you go in there because it's oh. yeast and the, and the rising bread, and it's so Smells. gorgeous and glorious in the morning. And you go in there, and, and you know, and some of it's thrown out or whatever, and he's doing it again. And when it's done and baked, this guy pulls out his own brand, and he sits there and brands each loaf with his initials. Really? You know? CRH, Chef Ryan Hauser. <laughs> I'm proud of it. That's exactly it. Passes my test. Yeah. That is just amazing. Um, what else? We've got just a, a moment left. What else would you want people to know? Um, well, what else would I want people to know about what we're doing with food? Yes. Um, well, our concept is simple. I think it's simple. It's a global fusion cuisine with an emphasis on Northwest Polish comfort foods using only locally raised, foraged, and harvested ingredients, uh, giving a lot of respect to the local Lummi natives that were there before we arrived, and continuing relationships with our surrounding community. Keeping food local isn't necessarily about local food. It's about local economy. It's about minimizing our impact, our carbon imprint, and expanding our perception of the way we interact together as humans. And sitting down at the the dinner table with a loved one, a neighbor, a stranger, a a, a nice glass of wine, a a, a good meal, whatever it is, um, that is the beginning of our future every day. Mm -hmm. And um, I I feel very honored to be orchestrating that behind Mm -hmm. the scenes of the Captain Whibby. Well, I will say after hearing all this, if anyone can listen to this and not go right out there, they're insane. And I do want to point out that uh, the inn is there, the restaurant is there. Definitely stay at the inn sometime if you haven't done it yet. But even if that's further down the road, make sure that you do a little road trip out there one day and have lunch out on that deck. It is awesome sitting on that deck. Yeah. Well, lunch is so good. Get a chance to taste <laughs> that great food. Thank you both for being here today. This was really fun. Well, thank you, Tom. Thank you very much for having us. And we'll look forward to the next time we stop out at the inn. We'll be right back. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Table Talk Northwest, your backstage pass to wine, beverage, food, and travel in the Pacific Northwest and beyond, all from an insider's point of view. Find them online at tabletalknorthwest.com. Hi, this is Ethan Stoll, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. My name is Cassandra, and one of my favorite restaurants in Olympia is Swing Wine Bar overlooking the Capitol and the lake.
So, do you know where I was sitting when they blew up the kingdom? I do not. I was in the Captain Whidbey Inn upstairs in the hallway watching it on the TV, the only TV in the whole place. <laughs> Ironic. So, anyways, uh, we're, we're here with a few kitchen tips. We've got and, and tips for eating out and eating in. Uh, what, wh- where are we going to go here? I'm going to talk about eating at home. And this was something that was just on my mind the other – well, actually, it was this morning because I had bought some grape tomatoes. And instead of putting them in the fridge, I put them on the counter to see if they would last longer because I, I always wonder. And I thought, you know, I should just look this up and find out what I should be doing. And the first thing I st- stumbled across was a thing from UC Davis – and it's called Storing Fresh Fruits and Vegetables for Better Taste. And it's great. It gives you a, uh, a chart, and it'll say storage location, store in refrigerator, fruits and melons, so apples, apricots, Asian pears, blackberries, vegetables, asparagus, green beans. So it tells mushrooms. us what to put in the fridge and what yes. not to put and in the fridge. And then what you should ripen on your counter or then what you should store only at room temperature. And so I found we that get, very helpful. We, we get this online. We just do uh, UC Davis Storing Fruits and Vegetables. Yeah, that you know, should get us there. It's a weird uh, name that I didn't pick up, but if you just, like, Google storing fruits and vegetables for better taste, UC Davis, that that will get you there. And I okay. also I found um, the Food Network has something out on that, and somebody else had something out on it. So there's several sources that you can go find, you know, so, how do you get the best flavor? Yeah, more of that molecular cooking. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you're okay. going to talk about going out. So, yeah, so eating out. So I told you at the beginning of the show I got one more restaurant I'm going to talk about. Oh, yes. And uh, the one I'm going to talk about is called the Mountain View Inn on Highway 2 in Gold Bar. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you don't eat there. Sorry. Yeah, a negative <laughs> report. I uh, had breakfast there uh, the other day and was very dissatisfied, but I tried to be a good boy and not say anything, and I did manage to pay my bill and get out of there and not say anything. However, uh, if someone had said to me, how was your, how was your breakfast, um, I guess what, what you're saying here is uh, hopefully you have a positive experience, but – Negative remarks, although uncomfortable, help the kitchen fine-tune what they're doing. So uh, if, had someone asked me, I would have told them that corned beef hash was unedible. One of, inedible, actually. Or um, inedible. The reason I w- uh, was thinking about this also was that um, we were at our kind of neighborhood hangout, and there's a new chef there. And we'd had a dish that we'd had once before since he'd been there. Mm-hmm. It was not as good. It wasn't It wasn't tender, and the flavor was good, but it, the cooking hadn't really – something went wrong there. And, uh, you know, when somebody's new someplace or if you go there all the time or even if you don't, the kitchen can't improve if they think everything's great out front. They never hear a negative comment. And another one of our favorite places has a new chef, and they're just knocking our socks off, and that's the Paragon. Yeah. The guy's got some great stuff going on. He's doing a gazpacho this summer that's to die for. Mm. Uh, he came complete with his own smoker, so there's smoking ribs and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And things on the menu that we haven't ever seen there before. So, yeah. And, of course, I let them know that I really thought they were doing a great job. I didn't want the chef to know that because I don't want him to ask for a raise right away. <laughs> but. So, but, but I think, you know, they look for feedback, so... If you have a bad experience, don't be mean, but do share the feedback because restaurants want to make it right 
They can't make it right if you go out on Yelp and say how bad they were, but you never told them. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's the thing. So you got a crazy gadget here this month. This thing looks really dangerous. Tell us about this gadget. Well, you know, we usually talk about gadgets that are just make your life so much easier. And this is really not a necessity, but it was so odd that it caught my attention. It's a little human figure, like a little man figure. And it's a knife holder, and, and there's a hole in his head and in his chest and down in his legs. <laughs> yeah, right in his abdomen. Yeah, and you, and you put your knives in there. That's your knife holder. And it's called the Voodoo Doll Knife Set? No, it's called the X, E-X Knife Set. So, like, if you've been divorced recently and are oh. pretty angry, <laughs> and then it said later, you know, it's a Voodoo Doll Set, and it can work for anything. So a coworker that you don't like. or So it, it's really meant to be funny, but... Um, a little violent, but if you need to release some tension, you know, this might be a good uh, gift for somebody. Or... And if an intruder enters your home while you're in the kitchen, just grab the whole set and fling yeah. it at them, right? And also, you've already had practice, you know, at heads and arms and <laughs> abdomens, so, uh, you know, you might be a better, better uh, shot there. But <laughs> All right. It is time to wrap up for the month. Thanks for joining us on the show. If you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it's free to do so. Just visit www.seattledining.com and click on subscribe for free. We want you to dine well, we want you to dine safe, and we want you to dine often. And don't cook like my mother. And don't cook like Tom's mother. See you next month. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner, all right? However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music of Fremont Icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Dog House, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the Seattle Dining Show.